as you walk up to the legation, you come down this very narrow alley called uh, Rue d'Amérique, or the American Street. And it's a little alley with carved archways and a little sign that looks like it'll be a very small space. And you go in through the front doors and as you start walking and climbing stairs, it opens itself to you and it reveals itself. And it's actually a huge, a pretty big sprawling complex that goes over the street that you walk in on. We are actually built on both sides of the street and our main ballroom is over the alleyway that you use to enter the space. And you go from this very tiny kind of small um, streets of the Medina to this really expansive, well-lit, beautiful um, sprawling space. It's really magical. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're going to Tangier, on the northern tip of Africa, to learn about the relationship between the U.S. and Morocco, and why Moroccans consider their country to be America's first friend. More after this. I took a road trip. How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey, Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you're looking for a place where the wide-open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. I'm Jen Rasami Manana, and I am the resident director of the Tangier American Legation Institute for Moroccan Studies, which we call the Legation. A legation is kind of like an embassy. It's just a step or two below that. They're not that common anymore. But the building Jen described, it used to be where American diplomats in Morocco did their thing. In this building, like the old city that surrounds it, it's this unique blend of Moorish, Arab, European architectural styles. It's tan with bronze trimming and incredible courtyards and balconies and gardens. It's pretty swanky for a building dedicated to bureaucracy. It started as one single building, but over time, the U.S. government kept expanding it, growing the legation in every direction. 
you will never find anything else like it in the world. It is the oldest diplomatic property belonging to the U.S. in the world. It's the only national landmark of the United States located overseas. And it is a museum, a research center, and a cultural center. Today, the building has a lot going on. It puts on exhibitions about U.S.-Moroccan history. It runs literacy programs for local women. And it has a ton of other activities and events. You might have a couple of researchers from universities, both in Morocco, in the U.S., and in Europe, working on PhD dissertations, working on specific articles. We've got some unique archives and some some material that you won't find anywhere else. Like stacks of old local newspapers and consular correspondence from the 1800s and this giant steamer trunk filled with glass negatives of over 2,000 photographs of Tangier at the turn of the century. Jen actually lives in the legation. She and her kids moved in when she got the job, and they're the only people who get to call this old maze of a building home. This is just the most amazing thing. Um, you know, I, I live over the store, so in the mornings, um, I can, you know, sleepy Saturday or Sunday mornings, I'll sit um, in bed reading and I'll listen to guests arrive and check in. I can hear them underneath my um, window. Um, asking questions and things like that. And it's kind of interesting to hear um, the variety of voices and the places that people are coming from. Jen was a U.S. diplomat for 22 years, but she came to Tangier for the very first time in 2017. And I was really struck that every person that I met, the minute that they found out that I was American, would say, hey, did you know that Morocco was the U.S.'s first friend? I mean, I'd be in a grocery store, I'd be in a taxi, everywhere I went. That was a fact that was kind of um, uh, wrapped into the fabric of, of Moroccan history and things that Moroccans were really proud of. So here's what happened. In the 1700s, the Sultan of Morocco was looking to shore up his position, um, uh, both internally against potential competitors to his power and externally in the region. So the Sultan at the time... Moulay Suleiman decided that he needed to make some friends, allies. At the time, and still today, one of Morocco's biggest assets was its coastline and its many ports. So the Sultan of Morocco decided to invite other countries, great countries, countries of interest, to come and trade in Morocco and promise them free access to their ports. And among the countries that he reached out to was the United States of America. Now, this is all happening in 1777. The Revolutionary War hasn't even ended yet. And at the time, the U.S. is this weird little baby country that hasn't even figured out really how to operate. But the Sultan of Morocco was treating us like a sovereign nation, like a, you know, like a like a grown up kid as opposed to a toddler that was just learning to walk. So in 1778, Ben Franklin negotiates a treaty allowing U.S. ships to use Moroccan ports. And this relationship between the two countries just continues to strengthen over time until 1821, when the two nations decide to take it to the next level. At the time, there were not many Americans living in Morocco. But Sultan Moulay Suleiman wanted to change that. So the Sultan in 1821 thinks, well, if I give them a place, 
to use as a headquarters, as a base, perhaps that will attract more Americans here and we can build more kind of concrete ties. And uh, so in 1821, he offered the building that is now the legation. The legation started as a single building. But over time, the U.S. government bought the neighboring parts of land and the neighboring buildings, and it just grew the legation in this sprawling, un controlled format. However, the Sultan's original plan to grow the American population of Morocco, it didn't really work, at least not until 100 years later, during World War II. On November 7th, 1942, we guessed that there were about 100 Americans, all told, uh, living uh, in Morocco. They were missionaries, they were diplomatic personnel, um, a few traders who had come, but you know, less than 100. It really wasn't a significant community. But then, on November 8th, the very next day, there were 35,000 Americans living in Morocco. Why? Because of Operation Torch. Operation Torch is the name the U.S. government gave to its mission to liberate North Africa from the Vichy French, the Nazi-aligned French forces. And at this point in the war... North Africa is still a French colony, but the French had already fallen to the Germans. So the U.S. sets about trying to liberate North Africa from Nazi control. And they decided they would start with Morocco, which is the closest to the United States, um, defeat the French, get a hold on Morocco, and then from Morocco they would move towards Algeria and towards Tunisia. So the U.S. Navy sends ships to Morocco from six different American ports just to throw off any Nazi spies operating in the U.S. So imagine, if you would, 130 different warships leaving from six different ports in the United States and then rendezvousing in the center of the Atlantic in complete and total silence. They wanted to surprise the French and they arrived off the coast of Morocco on November 8th. And within 72 hours, they had uh, the the French had laid down their arms and, and the Americans were um, had control of, of Morocco and were able to use it as a base to plan the liberation of the rest of North Africa. Um, one of the reasons why this campaign was so swift and so successful was that the planners had excellent intelligence. And where did that intelligence come from? Well, it came from the attic of the legation. That's because in the attic of the legation was a group of OSS agents. The OSS was the precursor to the CIA, kind of the country's first real intelligence agency. And these agents were working undercover as normal diplomats. But their real job was to gather information on the war effort. And their meeting place was the attic of the legation. And this year was the 80th anniversary of Operation Torch. And we decided that it would be great for people to come and kind of be in the space where all of this happened. And so we opened up a part of the legation that has never been opened to the public before. The spy closet, we call it, is set up exactly as it would have been in 1942. You sit and listen, you'll hear the tap, tap, tapping of the code machine as it would have been tapping day and night as they prepared, you know, um, for the invasion. In the 1980s, the U.S. State Department decided that the legation's location was not as desirable as it used to be. You can't drive a car to us. 
um, in terms of security. It's certainly not a Fortress America type building, as you might imagine. Um, as as the relationship deepened and as U.S. interests deepened and as more people came to work at the diplomatic mission, there wasn't enough room. So the U.S. built an embassy in Rabat and a consulate in Casablanca, leading to the end of the legation's diplomatic purpose. But the complex still served to help Americans in Morocco. For a few years, it was a Peace Corps training center. And um, the Peace Corps volunteers, when they were here, they wanted to have fun and enjoy themselves and not bother the neighbors. So they looked for a place where they could dance and do whatever. And um, they found that here at the legation, uh, buried in the, in the ground, is uh, an unused water cistern. And so they started climbing down into the water cistern and um, having parties there. And over time, they covered all the walls with murals and everything. And and, uh, they called it the cistern chapel. Jen says the cistern chapel is still there today, paintings and all. But despite living in the museum, she's never actually seen it. I am too scared to go down there, I'll admit, but uh, someday I'm going to get up my courage and I'm going to go down. In fact, when Jen got the job at the legation, she says the whole idea of living in a museum took some real getting used to, mostly for her kids. When I first told them, you know, we're going to move to a museum, they were like, what? And I said, no, wait a minute, you're going to get to say, like, night, you know, night at the museum is going to be your life. In the first month or so, they were... Um, shall I say, unmoved. And then all of a sudden, they woke up and they realized, like, I really do live in a museum. And now our place is a a gathering place for their respective friends, which is really fun. But Jen's kids aren't the first kids to live in the legation. In the library, there are some journals from the daughter of a consul general in the mid-1800s. Some of the things that she describes... um, the, the the light that you see here, the view from her window, some of the sounds that she hears in, in the Medina where, where the legation is located um, are things that, that we still experience every day. It's amazing. The legation had its 200th anniversary in 2021. 200 years of kids running through the halls of this beautiful, sprawling space. 200 years of diplomatic missions and secrets and intelligence officers. 200 years of a long and complicated relationship between two friends. The Tangier American Legation Museum is in the old city of Tangier. If you're not going to be in Morocco anytime soon, there's a nice virtual tour of the legation on their website. We put the link in the show notes. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Baudelaire. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There is a link in the episode description. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. 
I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.